I'm glad you're here. In today's episode, Jai and I talk about how a refusal to see leads to a lack of unity. And if we really want to be useful, we have to focus on what we can change, which is ourselves. This episode was actually recorded before the pandemic, and it seems relevant today when our division is at an all-time high. So I hope you'll glean some insight from this episode, and as always, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, Jai. Hey, Angela. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Jai, did you have a place you'd like to start today? Yeah. I just had a conversation with my neighbor a few minutes ago, kind of centered around politics. Some context. My neighbor is, I guess, a few years younger than me, probably in his late 20s, mid to late 20s or so. And he's going back to school and get his undergraduate degree but as a working adult. So that's kind of his perspective that he brings to to this. And so he asked, uh, am I Democrat or Republican? And I said, neither one. He asked if I was independent. I said, not really. I just, I don't really care about the party lines. So we had a small discussion about how our families voted and whatnot, traditionally. And then the conversation took a turn because I brought up people that have traditionally voted Democrat, especially in the younger generation that has kind of admired being able to do that one day, sort of being radicals right now, and what that looks like in each of our circles, because he knows a lot of traditionally Democratic, yeah, Democrat voting people. So hold on, let me make sure I got, I'm following you so far. So this guy's late 20s, and he's asking you, and you, you, you guys are talking about kind of the radicalization of the Democratic Party right now? We touched on notes of that. The, the I would say the meat of the conversation, a 10 or 15 minute conversation, was really that both quote-unquote parties are too extreme and everyone's kind of blinded to different aspects depending on how they've seen it or how it's presented to them and that was really the bulk of the conversation both sides being extreme and kind of blinded both sides being extreme and blinded yes that's awesome how did that go (laughs) pretty smooth pretty straightforward um Actually, extremely straightforward. It wasn't a very tough conversation to have because we came at it from the perspective of trying to understand why some people vote for what they vote for. Take like uh, Social Security and kind of having a job. If you if if those sort of metrics or what and metrics in general, what you're following, you're probably going to support Donald Trump in a time like this. If you're kind of more affected by either poverty or some form of marginalization, voting with someone who has more at the surface level, like a Bernie Sanders has more socialist policies, we can understand why you might vote or be interested in going that way. So that's, I mean, that's the lane the conversation took. Why are people doing what they're doing? And including why are politicians seemingly so in bed with each each other? Why are the parties, this guy was saying that he can now see that they're kind of one and the same in a sense that there's tactics to get people emotionally charged to vote for someone. And we really talked about the synergy there is there for quote unquote both parties. So you did, you guys weren't able to solve it. You know, unfortunately, we haven't solved American politics today. Um, <laughs> get, get back at us in a week. <laughs> Give us a week. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's it's really weird. We purposefully don't 
really discuss a lot before we go on air. But this morning, I woke up thinking about blindness. So I think it's interesting that you bring that up. You know, both sides are kind of blinded by their by their perspective or the way they're looking at it, and they're refusing to see the other side or why another perspective might mean something to someone else. When you um, were thinking of blindness, did anything along the lines of like your perception of power or your perception of influence or perception of ability, sometimes it seems like for people it affects their ability to um, even want to see another perspective? I'm not quite sure I understand what you mean. So in the same conversation I was having with my neighbor, a reason some people have a hard time opening up their perspective is because even with new information, take someone who's kind of traditionally been like a Democrat, but they have a family member that's been personally affected by the prison of pipeline system. And they discover, wow, the Democrats haven't been doing that. But at the same time, you know, someone like in that position is kind of like, well, I just kind of want to stick with what I know because yeah. life's all right. And it seems like if I learn all this information, I kind of have nothing to do with it. You know, I'm just stuck in la-la land. That kind of... um. Blindness, blind, blindness by choice, or willfully ignorant. Refusing to see. Refusing to see, yeah, blind, kind of blind by choice. I've got four, five, ten things that I've worked out that I, I feel like I know to be true, and I'm, they're always up for for debate. And one of those is, let me see if I can say this right. Our greatest sin is our refusal to see, and the consequence of that is a lack of unity. I come from more of a conservative Christian background, and I still look at the Bible as my wisdom book. I believe that as a wisdom book, there's a lot of wisdom there. And because of my upbringing, it is probably my main wisdom book. So sometimes this wisdom from the Bible pops up into my heart, and I contemplate it, and it helps me make sense of things going on. That makes a lot of sense. It's one of your compass or maybe your main compass. Everyone needs one, I think, as a point of this of this podcast. I was explaining what this is to my brother like an hour ago. He was asking what is the deepening place. I said it's uh we're essentially discussing how to ignore certain outside things and and work on yourself, work on the internal. And I think what's essential to that is some form of compass. There's this little Bible verse that says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When I was a kid and memorized that, it terrified me because, you know, it's kind of a scary thought. I can't, I'm already doomed. But what I was thinking about this morning is we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is an awesome opportunity for us to do what we were talking about before and start to focus inwardly. If, I, if my focus is on exterior and what everyone else is doing wrong, and I never, never look within myself. So the literal meaning of sin is to miss the mark. So if you look at it like that, I have missed the mark and I've fallen short. What have I fallen short of? The answer is the glory of God. Well, what does that mean except... I haven't reached the light that's within me. I've fallen short of the light that I have, and I need to get up, and I need to go within and figure out how to how to get there mm. so that I can be useful in the world. And 
What was that quote again? The actual verse is, and I was always bad about the references. We'll put this in the show notes. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you think, so what would the wisdom in that be for someone who's, for anyone who's listening, just is thoroughly averted by anything Christian? So if you think about like an archer, and if you're aiming for something and you miss the mark, to help my clients a lot, I use establishing a vision for your life. And we talk about when you miss the mark of your vision, you've sinned against yourself. And I explain that word means to miss the mark. So if you chose something that was not in keeping with your vision, then you miss the mark. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And so that kind of helps them get a visual like, okay, I need to look at that and see why I did that. Why did I make that choice? Because what I'm telling you is I want to build a strong relationship with my partner, but I acted in a way that was opposite of that. So I sinned against myself. I missed the mark of what I had established as my vision. So that's kind of what I mean by that. Okay, thanks for explaining that. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so there's a little bit more if you if you think this is a good direction. I do. If it's true that everyone has missed the mark and fallen short of their sacred purpose, and that sacred purpose would be unity with God or source or life or light. Do you follow that? A little bit. Could you say it again? Yeah, so really it's just saying everyone has missed the mark and fallen short of their sacred purpose. And so if you look at it like your sacred purpose, you remember earlier we said the greatest sin is refusal to see Mm -hmm. and the greatest consequence is lack of unity. Well, that starts with the unity that I find in my own heart with, with source, with love. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. Okay, so if that's the problem, then the parable or the teaching that Jesus had that says you got to remove the plank in your own eye before you look at somebody else's speck, it makes sense in a totally different way. Mm. Like the plank is unity. When I get right with, with me, then I can be useful and do what I was meant to do here and spread light and love. That's the big plank. But what I spend all my time doing is looking outside of myself at how someone else's lack of unity is manifesting itself. And I focus on that instead of what I really could do, which is getting my life right. That's a very powerful point that I think ties back into the first bit we were talking about today, even with politics. Yeah. A hundred percent, because frustration at a singular candidate, I think, I truly believe most people know that their frustrations can't be solved by voting one person into office, mm-hmm. but it's become a very, very easy scapegoat to not look at your day-to-day actions and choices. It makes it very, very simple to sort of ignore what you're talking about. And in a very relevant and modern sense, it is very easy to see that, um, I guess you could say, what, sin or transgression against your own path. Um, It's become ever more apparent, especially with 
radical is it radical liberal or an extreme liberal or a far extreme leftist or, or liberal is that That's what you the mean word, extreme leftist yeah we kind of have a scapegoat right now um or that that movement very much so has a scapegoat and i think it's not i think it is very evident that is blocking our path that's a great quote, Angela. It is very much blocking up our, our path to unity. There was um, that whole term scapegoat. I've said that, you know, very often that Donald Trump is a scapegoat for all of our sin. And that was in the Old Testament at once a year or maybe more than that. And the whole idea was you took this animal and you symbolically you know, put all the sins of the people for the year or the quarter or whatever they were doing, and you drove it out of town, and that was your scapegoat. And you did that was kind of a penance. When people talk about scapegoats, yeah, it's easy to look, put all of the the blame or the focus on on one person or one party or one company. But back to our original point, it really still leaves us powerless. And the yeah. reason there are so many people sitting around paralyzed in fear and judgment is because they're focusing on the thing that they have no control over and completely ignoring the power that, that each one of us have. To your point about sin, how does that, how does that um, what do you call it? I'm sorry, uh, not phrase, Bible verse? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> how does that verse, um, how does that live out for you then? How do, what, what, um, what locus of control does it make you focus on? That kind of revelation. So when I stop being afraid of things like all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and if my assumption about God is that God is love, which I was always taught, but it didn't really make sense based on other teachings. I remember there's a chapter in the Bible, and I don't want to get off on this rabbit trail, but it's called 1 Corinthians 13, and it's known as the love chapter. And when I was a kid in about the probably fourth grade, I was such a serious kid. I mean, if somebody said I should do it, then I did it. And so probably around that time, people were saying, well, you know, you should really read the Bible for yourself. And so I came across this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and it was all about love. And without love, you're nothing. And without love, you're just a clanging symbol. And I thought to myself, wow, if the church would only read this chapter, even as a child, it struck me that this is not what we're doing. And so if my assumption about God is that God is love, and it is, then everything has to fit that. Making myself go back and sort of like debugging the programming, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So when I read a, a verse like all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I'm not afraid of it anymore. I'm like, what could that mean? The way I explained it earlier makes so much more sense and is so much more hopeful. Like, okay, so all of us have missed the mark and fallen short. And now what can we do to, to remedy that? What can we do to, to correct that? And for me, that is the essence of the deepening place. That's what I want to show people, how to get to that deepening place where you can, you know, achieve that union, you know, let your roots go deep so that then you can bloom and and serve your purpose in the world, which is to do good works. But how does that, kind of going back to the point um, about the political thing, yeah. how does 
how does doing good works and kind of living your purpose intersect with the political realm for you? If I believe this to be true, it would make sense that I would deal with the plank in my own eye and the plank being the lack of unity with God before I'm worrying about the speck, how someone else's lack of unity is manifesting itself. And that means my neighbor, my um, church members, my schoolmates, the president of the United States. So before I'm worrying about anybody else's speck, I'm doing this deepening work that's possible. I'm learning to get to that place of unity and I'm filling myself with joy and hope instead of fear, judgment, and despair. To me, it sounds like you're saying something that we've touched on already is that once you kind of live in the middle, you, the need for the political becomes vastly less. It's really not necessary. It just comes down to social context at that point, which is a totally different conversation. Well, that kind of is a yes and for me personally, I really love politics, political science, history, all of it. And I I love journalism and I see before me, you know, things changing because we are spiraling into chaos. And so people look look at things outside of themselves as the first thing they should try to change. So I'm not expecting anybody to learn how to see just from this episode, but just to kind of entertain the thought that maybe it might be possible to learn how to see and to relieve myself of this horrible fear, judgment, and arguing with what is that I'm doing in my life. Um, Because you're not useful when you're locked up in fear and judgment. You only become useful when you, you learn to live in the light. And so we need more people to learn to live in the light so that they can be useful to help our current situation right now. And it sounds like there's a, a sense of urgency for community in this as well. I feel like we are in a really, you know, threat level red situation here. And if we don't figure this unity thing out we're going to suffer some consequences. I think there's still time and it's still possible for us to have a love revolution. So many people are suffering because of fear, judgment, and arguing with what is. So if you continue just to look outside of yourselves and fear and judge, then you become part of the problem. And you can only fix that if you, if you return to love, return to, to your light, and then learn there how to be useful Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Do you have anything you'd like to, to add? or? I'd summarize that pretty perfectly. Well, we talked a lot about this, this concept. Um, do you think it kind of relates to what you were talking about with your neighbor at all? It does. So we ended up just bluntly asking each other, who are you voting for? How are you going to pick how you vote? Uh, and we both said we don't know because it's not important. Um, we both focus on doing what we have to do in our own individual daily lives. I'm not sure if he's coming at it from, if we're coming at it from the same perspective, you know, sort of thing, but we don't get flustered by politics is what we, 
both realized. And we realized that a lot of people our age, in between the 26 to 35-ish area that are open to talking about these things, actually aren't nearly as flustered in person when you're sort of talking about this. Um, it is a bit more of a centered conversation to have vocally. And I think that doubles back with the, the, the urge and, and the urgence for a sense of community or a real community. Um, my neighbor and I are in community in, in that sense. Like literally, we live in the same area, same space, but we're in community in that it's not as important as to what the people what the people at in power or, you know, the people who have financial influence are doing or what charade is kind of being put on. We're able to have a discussion I, from a Democratic family and he's from a Republican family. I had a lot of Republican friends and a lot of Democratic friends. And that was a, a very easy, honestly, easy conversation to have from the sense of there's too much stuff to worry about locally to constantly be frustrated by what's happening on that larger scale. So, and, and I and I think your point about even sin or what it is to, a transgression on your path um, ties back into that conversation. I was asking him about a, a nonprofit he was talking about starting last year because he feels like he really has a calling to clean up the earth sort of thing. And that's where his focus is. Um, and you know, I have one as well, focus on, on education. And that's where my focus is. But what you just said is exactly what I was trying to say. You as an individual and your neighbor as an individual, I'm guessing, have done a lot of your inter inner work. You have made that a priority in your own life. I know that about you. When individuals do their inner work and they learn to see clearly and love themselves, then they can in turn be open to seeing their neighbor. And that love just kind of spills over into that. And so you and your neighbor have a conversation where you can meet in the middle and you don't really know what he believes. He doesn't know what you believe, but you're able to have that conversation. It, it starts with me. It goes out to my family. It then goes out to my community. To your point, we have so much in this community to worry about. And then it goes out into the world. So his ultimate vision is to do good works by working in the environment. And so what you just said is what I was trying to say in different language. It starts here and flows out, and then it keeps going out. And that's how we change the world. It doesn't start way out there with things we can't control and then work in. It's just the opposite. And, and you're a great example of that. Thank you. Thank you. It does come back to you. I don't know what point I started. I don't like to claim that I do any of this inner work or anything like that, but at whatever point I became aware that I have an impact, being aware of how things impact absolutely have made me realize what people call karma. Um, it does come back to you. Although we can't really influence what's going on in the government, a lot of it is pretty scary because we're making big, terrifying decisions with big budgets for, you know, big, literal big bombs and things of that nature. While it is comforting, you know, if I put good works out there, good will absolutely come back to me. But I will say that it has been that caveat of I'm also made aware of what I can't change. And sometimes it's difficult to just let that go and let that be, especially as for some people, depending on where you are and your context, can be real imminent danger you don't really have any influence over. So that's yeah. about the only caveat I'd say we should, we can't explore more. 
that might be a great place to start the next episode. We'll start there and talk about accepting the things you can't change and courage to change the things you can and the wisdom to know the difference. Yes, indeed. And that's from the prayer of St. Francis for anybody that thought that sounded familiar. That wasn't <laughs> my wisdom. <laughs> you didn't write that? Come on. I, I didn't write that one, John. <laughs> so, as always, thank you so much for, for being here, and thanks to everyone who's listening. Thank you. Enjoy it as always.